senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 20. 20? I know, it's a miracle. <laughs> Considering we did long stretch, I think our be- biggest stretch of not doing one was uh, a short 23 months. Yes. So. Go us. Feels pretty decent to be back in the groove. Yes. Although, we were going to record this like three hours ago, but I wound up taking a little nappy an kids. unexpected three-hour nap because <laughs> I tried to watch soccer, and that's just not going to work for me. <laughs> well. <laughs> I, I understand that there is a once-every-four-year sudden fascination in the United States with soccer. I think most of that is because it's an excuse to go to bars at odd times and get drunk and scream USA, USA. Well, this is prime daytime drinking. You know, if, if you're going to have a, a sports event, have it right around the summer solstice so that you can crawl into the bar in blazing daylight and then also potentially leave in blazing daylight. Which is, <laughs> which is an excellent experience, which I highly recommend. As a degenerate drunk for my entire adult life, you don't need an excuse to do that. You just need a place. <laughs> and if you do need an excuse, that's why God invented baseball. Although being from Boston with how the <laughs> Red Sox are playing, I can understand how one would turn to, what is it, 11 guys on a field? And <sighs> A passes to B, passes to C, passes to B, passes to A. Oh, A fell down. He's, <laughs> he's holding his knee and screaming like he took the Kennedy magic bullet. I keep wondering, like, when will they just let us subtitle stuff? When will they give us an app that will let us throw subtitles up on our smart TVs so that when that shit happens, I can just put, for your consideration. (laughs) It is the worst (laughs) fucking acting in the world. Oh, my ankle. Oh, my ankle. And then then he gets up like, oh, you're not going to cart him? Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's just terrible acting, just grabbing any body part with absolutely no regard for what the instant replay is going to show. There was some dude on on the Portuguese team, and shout out to Will Wheaton, who made the best comment on Twitter so far that I've seen about this. Portugal is all wearing red shirts. This should be a foregone conclusion about what should happen. Yeah, Jesus. (laughs) But anyway, dude with the mohawk went down. He'd taken like an elbow to the face inadvertently because he tried to tangle up one of the American players. You show some respect. You call him Mr. T. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. Mr. Ginger T. Um and he came and he was holding his hands over his face as though he had been cleated in the nose and then came up holding the wrong side of his jaw from where he got elbowed <laughs> cuz all you got to do is trick some poor dupe his only weapon against a crowd full of soccer hooligans is a small red playing card someone crylon the jokers out of the deck <laughs> yeah he's a little harried plus he's been running just like everybody else yeah well you know in in any of the players favor right now i yeah, they're playing in a rainforest, a game that should at best be played in the fall somewhere, you know, relatively cool, like New England, and yeah. like a prep school behind stone walls. Yeah, no, should, <laughs> that's part of why I hate soccer, because I had to play soccer, and I know for our European and South American listeners, 
It's like we've got them. But, uh, we uh, love the, you all, one of you. Yeah, no, it is It is football. This is America. It's soccer. We've got a football, and we know that's really rugby, but, you know. Soccer we- is short for association football to differentiate it in England from rugby football. They called it soccer first. They stopped calling it soccer after a while. We in Japan continue to correctly call it soccer. Uh, that that is. I've been a, reading a lot of Twitter today. Yeah, <laughs> and that is a fact. It's not an interesting fact. I don't really <laughs> care. What I care about is it's short for my parents saying, "Boy, Rob, wouldn't you rather play soccer than baseball? You little fucking butterball. It's better exercise." <laughs> All I wanted to do was play little league baseball. I had books on baseball, and instead I'm running around the the backfield because, of course, the little fat geek kid was playing fullback because my idea of foot control was not stepping on the ball and falling (laughs) over but i was a big kid so if i could get my foot on it i could clear it halfway down the field and i I hated every minute of it eight fucking years until high school where i was finally able to say you know i think i'm old enough for us all acknowledge this isn't my sport (laughs) i never had the uh the soccer inflicted upon me i i got a year of little league in and then uh, turned to various school sports like cross country and field hockey. It, it seemed like something to do. The ironic <laughs> thing was, I, I was shitty at soccer and I was shitty at basketball. I was shitty at everything I tried. I could swim. I was a good swimmer. I was a varsity level swimmer in junior high school. But then I got my growth spurt, so all the the fat that was keeping me buoyant kind of went away. So I started to suck at swimming. I would have been good at soccer. And instead, I just said, you know, I think I'm done with all sports. I'm tired of being wedgied in the showers. Let me go to my local comic book store. And it gave you the awesome opportunity to walk away from that and spend more time crafting dick jokes. Well, of course. For which we can all be thankful. Nobody's thankful for those. I'm thankful. Well, I I appreciate (laughs) that. And and you craft a nice phallus gag better than anybody. Thanks. Hey, no problem. So... Yeah, it literally, the game went on, and I was unconscious, and I kept jerking awake. <laughs> it's like, I shouldn't be asleep on a Sunday afternoon like this. What's a, Oh, it's soccer. I can go back to sleep. And it's that damn recliner. It's not the recliner. It's <laughs> I sit in the recliner all the time. It's <laughs> the goddamn you know, the kick and kick, and it just it does nothing for me. It, it, I don't know. It, you went out. The cat went out. It was adorable. Cat hates soccer, too. <laughs> it's a smart American cat. Cat cat hates soccer, not as much as the cat hated Django Unchained. Well, <laughs> all right, we we will get we'll get to Django Unchained. But first, we'll talk about different entertainment stuff. This is true. That so, was my my excellent segue. Yeah, <laughs> and it was a segue into the wrong segment. That's why. Eventually, we're going to talk about Tarantino and Wagner. <laughs> yes, it, it it was announced. <laughs> Just as a tease, it was announced this week that Quentin Tarantino and Matt Wagner are going to be co-plotting a Django and Zorro comic that Wagner is going to be scripting. A team up that you never knew you wanted. (laughs) And I'm still not sure I want, but we'll we'll talk about about that in a few minutes. That's a tease in the radio business. Oh, Teases we can do. Segways? Oh, God, we're so (laughs) awful. I thought a tease was, no, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) In radio, nobody would see that. It's, I swear to God, as soon as we get better equipment, I'm going to have audio elements <laughs> and just an audio that I play. Instead of even trying to segue, I'm just going to press a button and it's going to go, this is a segue. 
and we're just going to skip all this shit. So, all right. In the meantime, we will ham fist it the way we've done it through the last 19 episodes. So, something that was potentially leaked, it's it's not an official thing and supposedly isn't going to be official until uh San Diego Comic-Con in about a month during one of the Hall H panels, but uh Nikki Fink uh, who is a uh, used to do one of the Hollywood websites and just started a new one, leaked supposedly the uh, DC Entertainment slash Warner Brothers movie schedule, not just from Batman versus Superman in May of, not next year, 2016, but everything they've got up until May of 2018, uh, and then that was a week or so ago, and then a, a rumor went around that supposedly Kevin Smith, who is tight with Ben Affleck, has sort of approved that there's also going to be a, a standalone Batman movie coming up. Yeah. So Semi-confirmed as much as he can. Yeah. So, all right. So, so right now, supposedly, here is the, the full slate yes. of live-action DC slash Vertigo movies that are, are coming out. Uh, May 2016, Batman versus Superman, uh, Rise of Justice. We already knew that. Supposedly July of 2016, a Shazam movie. Uh, around December 2016, the Sandman movie that's being produced by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, May 2017, Wonder Woman, which is something they've been trying to get off the ground for God May knows how long. 2017 is Wonder Woman? I have July on Fink's site. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, no, I wrote the wrong thing down. So May, May, is, th- Justice May is Justice yeah. League. July is Wonder Woman. Yep. Uh, December 2017 is a Flash Green Lantern team up. Um, May 2018 is <laughs> technically Batman versus Superman. In 2016 is Man of Steel 2, but the real Man of Steel 2 only, what's 2018, five years after? Yeah. Will be the real Man of Steel too, assuming Henry Cavill hasn't busted a hip or gone full Harrison Ford. <laughs> and then supposedly at some point in 2019 will be uh, a Batman movie as yet untitled. So, uh, I'm guessing with Ben Affleck because the rumor is he signed for multiple movies. I've heard up to nine. Multiple just means potentially two. And so that's that good. He'll be like, what, 46? Yeah, well, <laughs> I suppose they could do the Dark Knight Strikes again, and we could officially then close the book on DC Comics movies. Yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite out of all of these is the Christmas 2017 Flash and Green Lantern team-up, because it seems seasonal. You get your red and your green. Oh, my It's nicely God. themed. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, nicely themed. With a, a character for one movie that completely fucking failed, and a TV <laughs> character who may or may not work, but has failed once in 1994. Yeah. <laughs> not 94, it was like 90. Not, yeah, 90. Yeah, but, but, all right, so, first of all, that's a lot of fucking movies. That is. For a studio that, realistically, if we don't count Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, which maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't, but we're talking about a, a one-movie series of movies in Man of Steel. There's a lot of things to pencil in <laughs> in a short period of time to try to mimic what Marvel's done yeah. with, with their movies. So, I don't know, is this overly ambitious? Because I went and did some research. Man of Steel made $291 million on a $225 million budget, which is a pretty decent profit. By comparison, Green Lantern, which nobody wants to, the Ryan Reynolds Green yeah. Lantern, nobody wants to fucking talk about anymore and pretend <laughs> it never happened and pretend that wasn't the first shot. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> it, it, 
it was okay. They, they made a lot of mistakes with it. Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about this. The director's cut. The director's cut was better. Yeah. But I think the biggest mistake, fine, we'll segue a little bit into Green Lantern. <laughs> the biggest mistake they made was to go full space cop with it. Yes. And this cast of thousands of weird sil- Silver Age-looking aliens, because they were aliens <laughs> created in the Silver Age, mm-hmm. yeah, against you know, one bad guy wh- who's just ugly with a giant head and another that was the spirit of fear and kind of ephemeral-looking. Right. I think they could have done all right with it, because I think Reynolds was sort of... He was not bad as a cocky test pilot, Hal Jordan. Give him the ring and let him do the first movie on Earth Yeah, as a superhero. We didn't get into the whole Green Lantern Corps extended right away in the 1960s Green Lantern books. Ground him. Make him a superhero instead of a space cop. Yeah. Make the second movie what they tried to do with this one. And then once you've gotten there, then fine, go full Sinestro Corps. Right. Yeah. Instead, now what we have, you know, is a post-credit sequence of that poor son of a bitch from Low Winter Sun painted up like a sex toy, <laughs> putting on a Sinestro ring, and that's all we're going to get. Yeah. So, but I mean, that brings up another question, you know, which I'll get to in a second. But just based on the money we were talking about, Green Lantern got $116 million. Now, granted, that was on a $200 million budget. Of course, nobody was ever going to do that again. But, I mean, the Hulk movies... Because technically there were two of them. There was the Ang Lee one and then the Incredible Hulk. Yep. Those made $266 million combined, and Marvel dropped them like a rock. You know, it's like, fine, we'll plug them into this other movie we're going to do because the other ones have supported it. Well, right now Man of Steel is all they've got. So are, are they pushing too hard trying to – I mean, I get why they're doing it. They yeah. want to try to catch up with Marvel, so they have to kind of be ambitious. But can they sustain any of this? I, I am not a movie executive, so I don't – I don't know why people make the choices that they make. I, I wonder how much of those other properties being dropped is ancillary merch not moving. So, you know, if your toys aren't moving, if your tie-ins aren't generating the money that they should be versus advertising sales, if they then just move on to the next thing. That's true, and that is potentially an element because Young Justice supposedly was canceled from the Cartoon Network despite being one of the the best non uh, probably the best non Bruce Tim yeah you know, uh universe cartoons that was out there cuz yeah it wasn't pushing toys and god knows it seems Warner Brothers and DC had high hopes for Green Lantern cuz there was Green Lantern shit all over the place when that movie came out and to this day a few weeks ago I was in my local comic store where they know me by name and asked me not to <laughs> not, not to scream no evil shall escape escape my sight with my pants up, but I was gonna say, show them your toy in your pants. Yeah, all right. Look, I, I didn't realize I was going down this road. I didn't have one pre-written. What the fuck do you want from me? I'm only a person. I tried to watch soccer today. I'm like, I can think it all. But uh, I was in there a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, I, I need some uh, some bookends. I'm running a bookshelf space. You got any cool bookends? The Green Lantern ones from the movie. You, you want them? Like thirty bucks. Please take them. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, obviously the Green Lantern stuff didn't move. Maybe that has an effect, but at the same time, I've never seen a kid out in the world with a Superman Man of Steel toy. We bought the Superman Man of Steel toy. We used it to repurpose it with your Shazam 
Oh yeah, that's... so that you could have Captain Marvel fight Superman. <laughs> yeah, I know, and it's awesome, and I'm glad I did it. But uh, I'd have done it with any Superman figure. It didn't have to be the Henry Cavill Superman. Well, no, but it was already put together so that he could fight Zod. We just benched Zod. <laughs> yeah, and it was a smart thing to do, and I would do it again, and I'd defend it in court. But, you know, that means me. And uh, granted, I've got a soft spot for Man of Steel. I think it's a better movie than people think it was. But then again, I've got a soft spot for Green Lantern. So uh, there's why anybody should pay attention to me i have no idea yeah so yeah if i'm the only one who has the toy of it and it didn't fucking matter you know i'm just wondering i'm wondering if it's not you know okay this did well enough business to keep going did it do well enough business to say we're going to keep going with all the same players and we're going to bet the farm on movies that aren't going to come out for two years yeah i I don't know. I, that's probably why I'm not in that business. Yeah, because <laughs> the other thing that occurs to me is there's a potential that because they're throwing everybody into Batman versus Superman. Yes. You know, and I think that was one of the problems with Green Lantern. Like I said, when you've got a whole bunch of people, it can be hard to keep track of them. Mm-hmm. And I could be wrong. I'm really on the fence about this because, you know, so far we've announced. Yeah, for Batman versus Superman, they got Batman, Wonder Woman, Cyborg. They just announced Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Is that really confirmed? Because I thought he refuted that. I'm pretty sure that's been confirmed. Team Bud. I wouldn't bet my life on it. (laughs) Yes. We we used to call call Drogo in the first season of Game of Thrones Thud. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because he just looked like his name should be Thud. So, yes, we're Team Thud. But I'd like to see Team Thud. Call upon an army of flying fish. Yeah, oh, Jesus. Yeah, dolphins. As he rides a dolphin. Dolphins. Dicks of the sea. Just sexually harassing the other fish until man leaves. Man leaves the oceans. But uh, that's a, a lot of heroes that can split the focus. And I, I, I'm of two minds about it. I think that kind of split focus killed Green Lantern. Yep. But then again, it was just a bunch of people in Green Lantern costumes. X-Men had six heroes. Although really that movie was only focusing on really a couple of them. It was that was Wolverine and Rogue show. Yeah. Yeah, Cyclops was a, a dick with eye beams. Although you went into X-Men knew, knowing that it was supposed to be ensemble, so you expected multiple heroes. Yeah. This is supposed to be Batman versus Superman. So the expectation <laughs> is that we would be following mainly the thread of Batman and Superman. Yeah, but you know what? I can sort of buy that. I mean, a lot of people have been wondering online, what are all these extra heroes going to do? And you know, even with uh, the Justice League movie supposedly coming, it's, oh, Batman's not a joiner. And again, this is part of why I have a soft spot for Man of Steel. As a setup for a Dark Knight-style story, you've got a Superman who is behind, at least partially, the destruction of a city, who refuses to yield to American authority, except in the cases where he says, yep, I'll do anything you want. <laughs> if Batman watched Metropolis fall on TV and saw Superman over Gotham, he would team up with the devil himself if it meant yeah. getting that threat out of his city. So I can understand having those heroes, and I can see an older Batman saying, okay, I I can't stop this. I have a car. <laughs> <laughs> um and a jet. He has a jet. A car and a, and a jet, and neither one of them, you know, Jesus, his jet in Dark Knight Rises couldn't even destroy Gotham with a nuclear weapon on it. So This is true. This is true. But we also know from Man of Steel he has some level of satellite support. Well, 
No, that was a Wayne Industries satellite. That I'm sure Batman also uses for his own purposes. Batman <laughs> uses it for free cable. Oh. <laughs> Batman needs to relax at the end of the day. Batman has no time for for being on the phone with dish networks. And the hopper doesn't work. If I had a bat hopper, god damn it. I but... want my free Playboy. <laughs> <laughs> you are a Playboy. You're Bruce Wayne. <laughs> but So, plot-wise, it makes sense to me why those heroes would be there and as an instant introduction to, okay, and then they form the Justice League. It, it, it kind of makes sense to me. I guess. I... And it's very easy to keep the focus on those characters. Like I said, I'm of two minds about it. I, I think it killed Green Lantern. I think X-Men worked by really having the focus on just the two. It was Rogue and Wolverine's movie. Professor X was there. X was for exposition, just explaining everything that was going on around him. Yeah. And then he uh, went into Poison Cerebro and was taken out of the action because he's too powerful. Yeah. So once he explained to Wolverine, here's what mutants are, he took his nap. Jean Grey was there for Wolverine to get a boner over. <laughs> Otherwise, really, what character did she have? I'm going to try Cerebro and I'm going to pass out because I'm too powerful. <laughs> Yeah. And Storm was there, even though I like the line, what happens to a toad? <laughs> she was there to deliver that, and that's it. And to get smashed against a wall by Sabretooth. Yeah, but it, realistically, there were broad archetypes to sort of support the two main characters, and it could be the same here, so I think that could work. It could work. Yeah. Or or they're just, you know, Goyer's going to run out of ideas, and it's going to be a giant Bollywood dance scene at the end of the movie to try to find some way to use all the characters at once. You sicken me. <laughs> now I have to sit there and picture that. Why would you do that to me? I've done nothing to you. So, which one of these are you looking forward to the most? Which one am I looking forward to? I am intrigued by the idea of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Sandman movie. See, I don't care about that at all. I do. Well, I, don't, that was... I don't care about that at all because I don't think you can do Sandman in two hours. I don't think you can do the first trade paperback of Sandman in two hours. No, but I think you could you could pick an individual issue or two, an arc of issues, and maybe pull something together. And, and hopefully Levitt has the ability to maybe do a two and a half hour, you know, something that would do it justice time-wise. Well, it's a possibility. God knows they gave Zack Snyder hours and hours to yeah. do Man of Steel. I mean, you could make the same argument about Watchmen. Can you, you know? Oh, you can't do Watchmen in two hours. Well, how how long was that movie? Like almost three. Yeah, and uh, I've got a soft spot for that movie too. Whether it was entirely successful or not, I mean, it was successful in doing the main plot thread, and at least it had a main sort of surface plot thread for it to follow. I mean, Sandman's about stories, for Christ's sake. The first few issues, yeah, you've got you know the uh, the escape from the uh, Anton Lavey analog to retrieving his uh, items of office to you know the serial convention, Doctor Destiny, but th there's not really a through line beyond I am the King of Dreams and I'm going to go get this stuff and. There's not even really a destroy my enemies. <laughs> no, but I think um, uh, I feel a sneeze coming on. <laughs> oh. Excuse me. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, New England is rife with pollen. 
It is, and our shitty mixer has no sneeze button. So, <laughs> so where I was going to go with that is, though, it, I think if you are looking at, and it'd be, it's been a while since I've read the the trades front to back, but I think you could probably go in and cherry pick a storyline that has a beginning, a middle, and an end that hits enough broad strokes of things that have happened, introduces your Cain and Abel, introduces the dreaming, introduces death. And the idea of of the other brothers and sisters, and that kind of <clears throat> kind of makes sense to me. Um, ignoring all that, I was captured and weakened, and need to retrieve my helm and my pouch, uh, and just going straight to I'm the king of dreams, and this is my world. That could work if you pick the right story. Yeah, because honestly, you could save the I was captured and all of that for a follow-up movie after you've established who he is and why you should give a shit. Alright, so if they were to go in that direction, I think the serial convention is probably the gimme, because you got a built-in compelling yeah. villain in the Corinthian. This is true. Um, so it's not even the serial convention at that point. It's potentially the whole Rose Walker uh, yep. Vortex story. And yeah, you could use Cain and Abel to do exposition up front. And yeah, they're perfect right. for it. And also you get the gag of, you know, they get killed off, they come back, they get killed off, they come back. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but it, I don't know, it just feels so weird to me because, and it's very weird because I'm old enough, I, I had the first few issues of Sandman. My fucking brother stole him when he moved out and for someday he'll pay for his crimes with his <laughs> life, but... So I read it right from the beginning as a comic series of a story, a story, a story. So I should be able to have the point of view of, no, you can do pieces of this. It can be spun out. Yeah. But it has been done for so long and a cohesive work of 10-ish volumes for so long. It is really hard for me to be able to say, oh, yeah, you can just do this and have it all make sense. But I, I <clears throat> and I, I get that, but you could say that about a lot of other properties as well. Yeah, I, I suppose so. But uh, which ones are in active development for a movie? No, that's true. But I mean, and also I look at it in the larger picture of of the Vertigo universe because, you know, as tie-ins to the Sandman universe, you know, Constantine is in and out, um, Swamp Thing is in and out of of things. Um, Tim Hunter stories have a through line with um, Mister E and Phantom Stranger and yeah. <laughs> So there's there's a whole larger universe that that is a significant piece of, but not the entire piece of. That's true, and you can tie it back into all these other movies that are, are going on if you do it smart. Yeah, I mean, you bring Sandman into this because if you're looking at how, uh, if, you're, if you're being cynical, I think, on DC, Warner Brothers' side, you're looking at how Marvel has mapped out their phase one, phase two, phase three, and you see Doctor Strange, and you go, shit, how do we counter that? And <laughs> yeah, I mean, go, that's, oh, we've got Sandman. <laughs> that's true, and with Constantine on the TV, because there, there still has not been a really well-addressed idea of how DC's TV properties like Arrow and The Flash are going to tie into this. Right. Yeah, you know, If they're talking about a Flash Green Lantern movie in 2017-18, is it going to be the dude playing the flash on TV. Are we going to see green arrow? Yeah. And and Constantine would be, even though it's a different network, if they want to say, fine, it's all the same universe. 
which I guess theoretically they could do depending on how they did the contracts. They're supposedly introducing Dr. Fate in that. Yep, and they're <clears throat> they even if Constantine is off the table because it belongs to Fox, I have that right, Fox? Yep. Uh, Constantine's NBC. NBC. Uh, even if he's off the table because of that, for whatever reason, you've got Sandman, who has a storyline that plays through into Orpheus being his son, um, which gives you a tie-in to anything you do with Wonder Woman, regardless of whether or not they use the proper origin story or Azarello's reboot. Yeah. Because that's Please all do great. the proper origin story. <laughs> I tried reading the latest issue of Wonder Woman. I've, yeah. I've tuned out of it because I have not enjoyed it. I tried reading it today, and it's just like, uh, no, this is still not doing anything for me. Yeah. But, but I'm actually looking forward to the Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> I'm not sure it's the one I'm looking most forward to, but I'm very curious. I, I think my interest in the Wonder Woman movie will heavily tie into what they do when they introduce her in Batman Superman. Well, yeah, as the introduction to the character, if they introduce a suck character, I don't want to spend two more hours with it. But right. I just remember being a young kid. You know, people have been saying for years, oh, I'm not sure anybody's ready for a movie about a female superhero and we don't know how to do it. And it, it was campy as shit. But Wonder Woman was on TV when yeah. I was you know, six, seven, eight years old. And I watched that. I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, I enjoyed the show. The only problem I had with it was, again, this is the mid-late 70s. So, yeah, when you go to your dad and say, I want Wonder Woman comic books with gender roles at the time, he resisted. And eventually my mom said, don't be a dick. It's just another superhero to him. Yeah. So, yeah, I had Wonder Woman comics as a kid because of the show. I think he can definitely do it. I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with, oh, I'll go see Iron Man. But I'll see Thor, but not Wonder Woman. Because as a red-blooded American male, I'd rather see... No, Hemsworth's pecs than boobs. Nah. The world is more than ready to handle a female-led superhero movie, especially if they create a strong supporting cast for the character. I have two words for you. Emma Peel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, certainly did well. <laughs> that was that was f- four years under Diana Rigg. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it... There's there's no reason why, if it was written properly, if the characters were well thought out, why it wouldn't work. Seven seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If Buffy can keep it going with halfway smart writing, you can. the world will sit for two hours through a Wonder Woman movie and, and enjoy it, for Christ's sake. Yeah. yeah. Would I have wanted to see David Kelly's... Where she's a lawyer and spending half her time alley McBeeling around the fucking city. <laughs> <laughs> Only if there's a dancing baby that she's hallucinating. <laughs> I'm gonna write down alley McBeeling around the city. That's a potential title, but <laughs> but uh, actually, yeah, you get that. I'll, but, I'll, I'll get that. So yeah, I think it's gonna be uh, fine. But the one uh, look, we just talked about it. I went and bought the Superman Man of Steel set specifically so I could have. Shazam, Captain Marvel to me. I've said before, (laughs) his name is Captain Marvel. Shazam is what you say to become Captain Marvel, the same way Jack Daniels is what you say when you want to punch a policeman. (laughs) What happens if you say Jack Daniels into the mirror three times in the dark? It's a cry for help, basically. (laughs) The paramedics show up, and they pump your stomach. Oh, wait, I I hear the wild call for an intervention. (laughs) That's not true. 
Because <laughs> trust me, I've done exactly what you're saying, and uh, nobody's intervened. People know better than to try and fucking stop me. Jack Daniels, Jack Daniels, Jack Daniels. Where the fuck's my Jack Daniels? <laughs> Why am I in the dark in the bathroom? Uh, you're hit by a thunderbolt, but it ain't lightning. <laughs> but So, uh, yeah, seeing Shazam come back, I'm really excited about. Um, the thing is, it was on the table for a while, and then I'd heard that it was sort of getting spiked because they were going with Man of Steel and going in that direction. So... I'm really interested to see what they have in mind with it. They're not right now. They, it's just a name on a rumor website. Yeah. So, but uh, it, it'll depend on the creative team. I'm. I think I'm probably. See, I grew up in a weird time in that the Shazam comic had come back out because of the TV show. Yep. The TV show was one of the things, along with Spidey Super Stories on Electric Company, that got me into comics as a kid. Yep. Um. The comic was very much, I mean, when it started, it w- it was C.C. Beck, um, but it was very much a, you know, C.C. Beck-ish it, it, a superheroes for kids, but the TV show was slightly darker with a moral, and it was more real people in real trouble. Granted, it was also about a teenage boy riding around the southwestern United States in an RV with a man he only knew his mentor. So it had its own problems. There was candy. Yeah. If, <laughs> if you're carrying around a Shazam DVD right now, you may have to register with a website and introduce yourself to your neighbors. <laughs> but um, but it's also, as much as I, I like the simple good and evil of early Shazam, I also grew up with Miracle Man, which is a Captain Marvel knockoff, yep. and the Captain Marvel from Kingdom Come. So to depend how they do it, they'd have to find a mix through that because everybody's got their own Captain Marvel now for over the years. I would imagine that given Jeff John's prominence as the sort of chief creative officer for DC Entertainment, uh, it will draw heavily from his current origin story for Billy Batson. Well, see, and I really like that, um, the one that ran as a backup yep. for about a year in Justice League. Um Billy Batson is a petulant little prick, particularly to start with. I, I had a problem with. He uses his powers to buy alcohol for his underage friends. <laughs> well, and I've been using that power for my underage <laughs> friends for years. My, yeah, because I'm, I'm so patient with underage. <laughs> Will you buy me beer? We fuck off. Can we, do we have a deal? So, yeah, that kind of view I could definitely see based on how... Man of Steel came out, even though I kind of like that movie. I really don't think I want to see David Goyer doing this, because no. Billy Batson would wind up being a member of the Latin Kings, and Jeez. Black Adam would be a cop on the take on the edge, and Fawcett City would look like Gotham City just before it was burned to the fucking ground. If they go with Jeff John's origin story, I would imagine he would have his hands all over it, and if Goyer screwed with it too much, he would get notes from Suits. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, as DC's chief creative officer, I'm not sure how much flat-out control he has over the movies. But, yeah, if they if they go with his, and they may just tap him to do it. Except, yeah. you know, you, you hear the rumors that you know, people high up at DC are saying, Jeff, you really need to be an executive now that we gave you the title. You can't write every book and script in the universe. This is true. Although he did turn out, like, the one 
palatable episode of Smallville in the latter seasons where he brought in the Justice Society. <laughs> yeah, for two or three years. That one, uh, the Booster Gold one. Yep. Yeah, where finally they just said, you know, no tights, no flights just isn't working anymore. <laughs> We're dropping in the ratings. And Jesus, even Bo Duke, who's got shit all going on beyond this show, he doesn't want to be on it anymore. Um, let's bring in superheroes. Bring it. Give that script to that, that nice young Mr. Johns. <laughs> yeah. So, I I don't know. who The the one thing that's potentially... People keep talking about The Rock. And they yes. keep talking about The Rock as Black Adam. I think that would be glorious. See, I want to see him as Captain Marvel. Yeah. You know, as, as somebody who is a grown kid and can be big and goofy and kind of overblown, you know, why make him Black Adam just because he sort of looks like Black Adam. Let him be Captain Marvel. Well, I can see them deciding to give him Black Adam also based on his work in the Mummy movies. Um, his work. He showed up and flexed. That was before they ever had him act. This is true. Actually, to be fair, I don't want to see him in any of these, and it's not announced, and I I keep hoping that someday it will be. He needs to be Lobo. Yeah, I could see that too. <laughs> I'm not sure who else you'd get for Lobo, to tell you the truth. He needs to be Lobo. <laughs> we got a lot of these ancillary characters to go through before anybody decides to make a Lobo movie. I'll just dream. <laughs> yeah, it, that's fine. I'm sure he'll be on DC Animated, but you know, it, uh, they'll they'll do Starman and Elongated Man before they do Lobo. I will have my main man movie. <laughs> All right, then. You'll have it. Uh, all right. Well, I suppose we'll hear for sure when we go to San Diego Comic Con and report from there in a few weeks. Although we will probably not be anywhere near Hall H. Hopefully, we'll still have news from Hall H. But we're still trying to figure that out. Yes. So, all right. So this would be where I'd press the button and would say, "This is a segue." Is this a segue? <laughs> this Rob? is going to be a segue. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So. Tease a little earlier, uh, it was announced this week, uh, Quentin Tarantino plotting a Django Zorro crossover. It's going to be a DC slash Dynamite uh, crossover. Matt Wagner is going to be doing the scripting. They're going to be doing co-plotting on it. Uh, no word at this point if Wagner is actually going to be drawing it or who's going to do the art on it. So It would be nice if he did. <laughs> it, it would be nice. I love Matt Wagner's art. Um <laughs> I would be more excited about this if it was happening in, like, 2000 or so for a couple of reasons. The first being I was a, like everybody else in Generation X, particularly dudes, I was a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. Yeah, Still, I'm a Tarantino fan, but yeah. a huge one in the early 90s. Reservoir Dogs came out when I was a senior in college. Uh, saw Pulp Fiction opening weekend, saw it, like, seven times in the theaters, I was of the right age to be initially outraged and then grow to love Jackie Brown because it wasn't just another Pulp Fiction. But Jesus, I even fucking saw four rooms, for Christ's sake. Oh, my God. Well, somebody had to do it. <laughs> Tim Roth needed, needed beer money, so I was more than happy to provide it because Tarantino was part of it. Um, since then, I've, I've liked what he's done. Uh, certainly, we went to see... Kill Bill, I don't own that on DVD or Blu-ray because the son of a bitch has been promising the whole bloody affair cut together into one movie for years, and I'm not going to let him double dip me. Yep. Uh, 
enjoyed that movie, uh, enjoyed Inglorious Bastards. Grindhouse was a lot of fun, except for Death Proof. Which was which Tarantino's part of it. It was his part of it, and I just, I can't fucking watch it. I get what he was doing with it, I understand it, and I get the reference he was references he was going for. It was the first time, it was just like, this is bloodless, and I don't want anybody to live through this. If somebody hit Austin with a nuclear weapon <laughs> while all this is going on, I'd be okay with it to just move me out of this. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, similar to I was a big Kevin Smith fan in the early 90s and sort of, uh, okay, um, I think you believe your own bullshit and I'm sort of moving on with my life. I kind of got that way with Tarantino. Yeah, and he became enough of a public persona that he often made choices that came across as unpleasant. And when one does that enough, it becomes difficult to separate the artist from his art. Well, it seems like a dick, and I don't want to hang out with him. It's what you're saying. Yes, I was being more diplomatic. Yeah, self, <laughs> he seems self-important. He seems like it's all about him. And, yeah, it's the same way I don't ever want to meet Harlan Ellison, even though I love his books. Yes. I don't want to fucking meet Quentin Tarantino. We were at the, the panel a couple of years ago right yeah. up front where he showed up to announce he was doing a Django Unchained adaptation for DC. It's close as I want to be to him. Yeah. So we've got some nice video. It's, yeah, I was close to Quentin Tarantino. Did you talk to him? Fuck no. Oh, God, no. no Jesus. <laughs> I, I didn't want him to ruin my fucking day. Don't talk so, to him. Don't look him directly in the eye. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'd be more excited about it if it was happening in 2000 before the levels of, of movies didn't necessarily drop. But it's also the son of a bitch did really good crime movies. Yeah. yeah I want another crime movie from Tarantino. There's certain crime movie elements in everything he's done but it's uh, i want to see dudes in suits shooting at each other again that was awesome yeah yeah i've got a soft spot for certain westerns but django unchained we just saw today yes it's we pulled it off a cable because we saw this story it's like well if we're going to talk about it at all we definitely need to watch it and it's been on my list i tried to watch it i uh i know when it was up for a bunch of Oscars, there were certain areas of the internet where, if you know if they are, you can obtain some of these movies. But a lot of times, we weren't both in the mood to watch it. So well, it's like three hours long. It's three hours long. <laughs> so I'd be like, I kind of want to watch it. So yeah, it's a let's let's drink on a Friday night, and I'll wait for you to go to bed. And it's eleven thirty. I'm like, let me throw it on now and wake up on the couch at four. It's like, oh, okay, I watch the first ten minutes again. <laughs> so. But yeah, it's beyond. I want him to do crime movies, and I'd be more excited if it was like 15 years ago. We'd also just be a few years off of Mage the Hero Defined, yep. and I wouldn't feel like Jesus Matt Wagner. It's, I just want Mage to end. <laughs> I, lo I love Matt Wagner. I've got three original Matt Wagner art pieces in the house. He's the first comic guy I ever met. He's a pleasant dude he's he a very nice man he makes interesting choices when it comes to his books his son is lovely yeah but <laughs> you pervert <laughs> sorry there's an opening there but but yeah I, dude i found you because of mage i want to see what happens to kevin matchstick it's been at this point uh it ended mage ended in 99 it's been 15 years since mage the hero defined <laughs> I, I like these other projects. I'd be happy for you to spike any one of them just to get yeah. me more mage. And every year that goes on, it feels like, you know, any one of us could be hit by a bus, dude. But so regardless of all those 
choices in the history I have with Tarantino and, and Wagner. So, yeah, all right. So we watched the movie today. Yes, we did. And we read, uh, had a couple of issues of Wagner's Zorro from 2008, 9, 10, 11. Yep. Uh, went out and bought a bunch more just to get more of a... Sense of the story. Yeah. And it's... I'm trying to be a little excited about this, but... All right, we'll, we'll go with the first problem. I read the first issue of the Django Unchained adaptation and, yep. and reviewed it on the main site, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com, uh, at the time. And Tarantino's stuff does not translate well to comic books. Now, what they did for the comic book for the, just the adaptation was they took the script, the unexpurgated, unedited script, and tried to do... Not necessarily a one-to-one adaptation, but that was the dialogue source. And you'd think that it should be a no-brainer because a comic book at its heart is is a storyboard. You would think, but remember, it's Quentin Tarantino. And two-thirds of the charm of his movies are just dudes talking. Yeah. Every one of his movies. Reservoir Dogs started people shooting the shit around the diner. Uh, Pulp Fiction, The Royale with Cheese, uh, and Django Unchained, the you know, discussion in the bar, waiting for the sheriff, and then waiting for the marshal. So what you're saying is he should have shopped it to Marvel so Bendis could have taken it and done his typical talking heads thing. Well, yeah, it's a, <laughs> when I reviewed the first issue of the adaptation, it was, okay, we've got two pages and like 38, 39 word balloons of two dudes talking about going into a bar. It's it's talky as hell, and you just you can't have big blocks yeah. that, that work well as a comic. It, it needs to be cut way down. Um, so yeah, it did not work well as, as an adaptation. The second thing is half of what's cool about Tarantino is the music in the language, and some of that yeah. comes across as written, but most of it comes across in the performance, you know, on a on a piece of paper, it says they call it a Royale with cheese. It takes Travolta's Royale with cheese to make that kind of cool. Yeah, you know, even the the Ezekiel speech. Yes, it's, it's if it ain't Sam Adams saying it, Sam, Sam Adams. Sam. <laughs> What's on your mind? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pause for liquor. <laughs> but yeah, if it if it's not Sam Jackson saying it, it's not the same. Yeah, he has a particular cadence, um, and it takes a very special actor to pull off that that cadence that comes across in the language which is why he he tends to have a handful of go-to actors yeah that come back movie after movie yeah and it's it works great in the movies yeah i really enjoyed django unchained today but written out it's not going to translate the same well it is screenwriting and it's different than comic writing yeah now that is not necessarily in any way going to be an issue with this because Tarantino's just contributing plot, and Wagner, who is a great comic writer and has been doing comic storytelling since the 80s, you know, will handle the scripting. But that means that that element of Tarantino that everybody loves is going to be diluted right from the gate. Potentially, but Wagner, of, of some of the current writers working right now, tends to be a little bit more word-dense than some others. Oh, yeah. If, if you read some of his Grendel stuff, there's... Nice, big, florid speeches in there. So, so we, we 
we may have a happy medium in terms of of something that is just wordy enough, but also the plot moves along at a reasonable pace. I think, you know, with the, the Django adaptation, you've got something that in its final cut was a three-hour movie. That's the that's the compressed version. <laughs> yeah. So then you sit down and you're like, oh, we can do this over, over comic books, and then it becomes decompressed, and then then you get the pacing issues. Yeah, and if you did it as a storyboard, the whole first issue would have been uh, the Doctor and <laughs> the Slavers talking about which one is the one who knows the brothers. Right. So it's it, it's not a thing that can go one-to-one. It's an issue that I think it was, was a wise choice for everybody involved. Yeah, I'll do the plot and let you do the character, but yeah, give it to Wagner, because apparently he really liked Wagner's Zorro comics. And having revisited a bunch of them today, and you read one or two of them. Yeah. No, I, I like them. Um, I... I found that it's um, a very strong telling of it. It gives you a sense of why Batman, as a character, would have been inspired by Zorro. Yeah, it's it's very much a Batman story if Batman had a sense of humor and adventure. Yes. Um, which is not Django Unchained. No. <laughs> if, if Bruce Wayne... Saw his parents shot after Django Unchained. He'd have been the Punisher by the time he was fourteen years old. Yeah, but it, it makes you think. Okay, at the end of Django Unchained, the guy is a bounty hunter, but he was really only successful as a bounty hunter a because he was a man on a mission to get his woman back, and b because he had a white guy to partner up with who could be the front. Yeah, uh, in the particular, uh, well that. <laughs> Another minor minor quibble. Yes, in the particular area of the United States in which he was working at that particular time, which was 1860. Yeah, but he would have still had similar issues working in the North and in other parts of the country. People say it was just the South. It was everywhere. Well, it, yeah, and I'm willing to allow a certain latitude because it's a Western pulp story. Yeah. The, the minor quibble I was going to come into is at least the Zorro comics and the version of Zorro that Wagner wrote in his original series... Uh, I did some research because I'm not the world's biggest Zorro fan, but uh, Don Diego was operating as Zorro in the 1820s, ah. so it can't be the same guy. Now, apparently, Joaquin Mason, uh, who's the grandson of Don Diego, was the Zorro character in a Republic serial set in 1875, so that could work. So I doubt we're going to see this same Don Diego. Well, where, where I was going with this, though, is, all right, so you're Django at the end of the movie. What do you do next? It's, 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 you know, day two. <laughs> yeah, which is an interesting question and something I think we're going to, we're going to have to see addressed here because it's not like they can make her to prequel unless yeah. Zorro frees Django from slavery and then somehow he falls back into it, which doesn't sound like a wicked, exciting ending. Oh, but I, I could see um, him finding his way down south into Mexico or over into California territory and getting into the cause of, of social justice that Zorro fights, potentially. Yeah, well, it's, it's setting-wise, and as long as they can get, you know, which version is Zorro. So, you know, for me, I give a shit. Have it be Don Diego. Again, my exposure to Zorro is Wagner's Zorro and seeing Zorro the Gay Blade when I was, like, 11 on <laughs> VHS. So uh, I don't have any particular 
you can fuck with Zorro for me in a way that you can't fuck with Batman. Right. But, you know, have, it's like you said, having read Wagner's, it was very much a, yes, a comic about social justice, which I think fits how Django could fit in. Uh, it was a comic about basically a guy operating undercover in a hostile culture and environment, which Django could fit into based on the movie. Yep. But Zorro is not a killer. No. Zorro is far more an adventure story, whereas Django Unchained is a man on a mission slash revenge story. Yeah. And I'm not sure that those certainly can be fit together. Well, I wonder if they cross paths because, for whatever reason, Django is still working as a bounty hunter and is killing, and Zorro has concerns about these murders taking place before these people can be brought properly to trial. That's a possibility, and I could buy into that. You know, then it becomes your standard first superhero meeting of, yes. you know, <laughs> now we will fight. In which case, I'm sorry, Zorro, the, the dead shot with the pistol will kill you 100 <laughs> yards away. He won't be able to say Z, let alone carve it on his face. <laughs> so I think that way actually would work best for me, if only because it does feel a little bit like oil and water. Zorro, as written by Wagner, was funny and fun-loving and clearly serious about his mission, but... It had a Spider-Man style quip every yep. step of the way, whereas Django's idea of a quip was, you know, say goodbye to her, boom. <laughs> it would be like, like a crossover between I don't know, Cursey from Death Wish and Indiana Jones, or or, or Molaram and the Goonies. <laughs> the Goonies, really. <laughs> I don't know, but Molaram and the Goonies, that could be a good title right that one down. Okay. So, tone-wise, it, it, Wagner, I think, would have to be careful. I think it could be done, I think you hit it right on the head. At cross-purposes to start with, so there's a battle. And I don't know why that really, uh, really just hit me. I've been reading comic books long enough to know that, oh, the first time the heroes meet, they fight. Typically. But... And I can uh, see a six-page argument during a battle of lethal versus non-lethal techniques could be interesting. Yeah. You know, it's it, there's a lot they could do with it once they figure out how they get past the fact that there's uh, approximately 40 to 50 years between the two stories. Well, <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing that's killing me. We're sitting here trying to figure out, oh, how can you fit these two characters together? Based on timing, how does it make sense when Tarantino had and has his property at DC Comics and Jonah Hex is just fucking sitting there because they're canceling All-Star Western. He's literally just sitting there. That's just a fucking gimme. Yeah. Yeah. After the Civil War, Django's a few years later. You've got a free slave working as a bounty hunter. And a former fucking Confederate soldier <laughs> working as a bounty hunter. Yeah. You want an opening cross-purposes battle with the team up? It would have been perfect. I don't understand. I'd love to find out. I should direct message Jimmy Palmiotti or Justin Gray and say, did anybody even talk to you? This is fucking perfect. I I don't disagree. I, I 
wonder how much of this though is just Tarantino gets an idea in his head and maybe at some point in, in his life had a fascination with Zorro and then saw oh well somebody's already writing Zorro for comics that's that's probably my best guess it's a Jonah Hex oh yeah I saw that movie it was a pile of shit even if you read the comics I think Tarantino particularly we can stop and think about Inglorious Bastards, yeah. where the whole thing is about the superpower of movies to absolutely change the world. That's a guy who's going to focus more on movies than comics, even though he is saying, he said in the press release for this, and he said at that panel announcing the Django adaptation a couple of years ago, I love comics. I've always read comics. And he's always had comic references. Yeah. Back to Reservoir Dogs. Talks about the thing. There's a Silver Surfer, surfer poster on the wall. That's true. But... If it comes down to, am I going to choose comics archetypes over movie archetypes, he's going to choose movies. Yeah. And Jonah Hex has no movie presence because they never made a Jonah Hex movie. <laughs> Just like they never made The Godfather 3. Or, or Indiana Jones 4. These are things that didn't happen, and I feel pretty good about this. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, of course he's going to go with Zorro. And in its own way, hey, awesome. It's another Matt Wagner comic i did enjoy what he did with zorro even though i really have no emotional attachment at all to the character yeah i, I found him fun reads you well, know, picked them up and you know when i revisited and, and looked at a few more issues i burned through them today it was fun well wagner's a strong writer it's got the francovia art um in issue seven which is one of the ones i was reading over today there's an excellent splash page of uh diego as zorro on his steed that is newly broken in yeah, no, the art on that was, was great, and I, I forget who took over in the middle issues. It was a more realistic, less pulpy, but it was perfectly serviceable. So it always looked good. Yeah. Uh, and always had those Wagner covers. Yep. Because I never bothered to hunt through for the Francovia ones, so <laughs> as much as I love them. But, uh, yeah, I'm just sitting here going, as a comics guy, oh, God, I would much rather see Django and, and Jonah Hex. And free up Matt Wagner to fucking do Mage the Hero Denied. For the love of God, don't let me go to my grave without seeing what happens to Kevin Matchstick. Well, if he shows up in Artist's Alley this year, we can ask him again. <laughs> oh, he won't answer it. I made it a point the, the three times I met him on Artist's Alley. He hasn't been there for a few years. No, it's, it's been his son who is lovely. Yeah. But uh, well, the third time it was his son, just because he was off doing a panel. But yep. he, he has not had a presence there that That's I've true. seen yeah. since probably two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Um, I never asked him about it. I don't. I don't want to be that fucking guy. I'm sure he gets asked about it from every other person who, you know, anybody who's going to go to his table and even remotely even pretend they want his art is going to say, oh, "What happened with Mage?" Because I remember the second year, that was the year I bought the Kevin Matchstick thing. Yes. Um. We've got a very nice Kevin Matchstick colored pencil the sketch on... On you know, black and, paper, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, I've got you know this of Zorro and this of Grendel. I'm like, I've already got a Grendel, but you know, and these are all very nice. But I found your work through Mage. And he just sort of got a smile of, you know... Yeah, Here we you, go. <laughs> you're not the 50th fucking person told me that today. Yeah, so. actually, that was when... I Wasn't that when he had just started to do Zorro? So a lot of the stuff in the in the art case was Zorro. Was Zorro. Yeah. And again, I have no particular love for Zorro, the character, and had none of his books had come out yet, so I couldn't even say, oh yeah, this is cool, so yeah. I've got enough of an attachment, I might want it. So, sorry dude, I flipped through Zorro. I flipped through the $70 Zorros and about the 250 Kevin Matchstick. Yeah. <laughs> then I'd do it again. 
although I might buy Zoro now because now I've got the Kevin Match stick. But it's a really good Kevin Match stick. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> he does Zoro really well. I really do have some hope for this, but I'm always going to be sitting there thinking, "Oh God, Jonah Hex and Django Unchained would have been so fucking good." We'll never know. Well, unless you get drunk and start writing some some fan fiction or something. Nobody wants me to write comic books. <laughs> nobody wants it. <laughs> the only person even remotely involved in anything comics related is like, the, if they offered it to me, I'd be like, you, I I can't do that, and you don't want me to do it. <laughs> Jonah Hex doesn't make nearly as many dick jokes as it would make it worthwhile to hire me to do anything. <laughs> so, all right. Pause for segue. <laughs> Pause for segue. All right. So, yeah. Oh, Jesus. We're already an hour in. Want to talk about a couple comics? We should talk about some comics. Okay. So, uh, yeah. First one uh, I looked at um, that I really you almost have to talk about just because it's really generally so fucking good. Although this one didn't work for me quite as well, which still means it was only really good. Excuse me. Um Sex Criminals 5, uh, written by... Five or six? I thought it was six. Uh, well, look at it. It's right in front of you. Six. I thought it was... Okay, so it's six. Sex Criminals 6, uh, written by Matt Fraction, art by Chip Zdarsky. Yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, this issue deals with uh, the aftermath of them being caught by the sex police. Uh, this is a uh, John point of view focused issue where he is... Still off his ADHD and various other meds and starts to become convinced that even as they go through their lives, the sex police are still watching them with one or two potential signs that, yeah, all right, maybe it's still actually happening, along with one or two signs that, all right, maybe he's just sort of stressed out and not thinking clearly. Uh, Yeah, Um, he describes himself, (laughs) there's the page as oh gosh like adhd but like with comorbid other disorders including body dysmorphia problems yeah ocd so um and all these other things so if he's been on meds for that sort of thing my takeaway from this and i'm not as familiar with this book as you are is how much of this book has been completely in his own head (laughs) well it's from the get-go and and that's the thing uh this particular book is from John's point of view. A lot of them uh, previously are from Susie's point of view. Okay. And there are sex police. They they have been found and at least marked by these people. So they're aware that people know what they're doing when they go into the quiet or come world or however vulgar you want to be on it. Um, the wet spot? Why can't they just call it the wet spot? Uh, because <laughs> then they couldn't go together because only the woman goes in the wet spot. <laughs> You're awful. <laughs> I know. I'm a terrible person. But, um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's another issue where really the, the charm of it and the cool part of it is the internal monologue where you can really, they break the fourth wall and you can really get into these characters' heads. Uh, this one in particular uh, with John and mm-hmm. part of the issue that he's having is, yeah, at this point they've been in a relationship for a while and that mad fucking that... <laughs> happens that causes the simultaneous orgasm you know, people are getting tired he's stressed out she's working on this other thing the relationship's going on it's not reached that level which adds another stressor to him um so 
But yeah, I mean, this one where the prior issues were always focused on the sex issue and and were really powerful because by getting into the characters' heads, you sort of realize every weird sexual thing growing up that nobody would tell you about or that you sort of imagined or anything. It's the same shit that happens to everybody else. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah talking about uh, boys finding porn in the woods. Porn in the woods was the most important goddamn thing in my life at 12 or 13 years old. I always knew somebody who found porn in the woods. That's how you found your porn, and that's how you learned what women looked like. Ours was just in stacks down in the basement. Well, you grew up in a different environment than I did. But, yeah, and, and over and from both a male and female perspective of nobody will tell you shit and you're trying to figure out stuff on your own and you can't ask yeah you can ask your dad you know what happens after you <laughs> uh, no i try talk not i wouldn't talk to my dad about sex now no, <laughs> 43 no, no, years no. old for christ's sake <laughs> so it, this book has always worked for me on that level because it really sort of and i even sort of it humanized the characters and it really was sort of a bolt of lightning of yeah shit we're all the same on this kind of stuff this one didn't work for me as well because this one is very much about John's mental illness and his relationship with his various medications and his decisions, whether to take them, whether not to take them, how taking them rounded the edges off things and made him feel less... Less involved. Yeah, and it, it didn't work for me as well because I... I've never had those issues. I've never been on well medication. But what I could see, and I, nor have I, but what I could see from this, um, based on my understanding of certain things, based on my day job, um, the temptation to, yeah, fine, screw it. I'm going to go back on my meds because they, they take the shiny off the world and my girlfriend's not putting out for me anymore and I'm stressed out at my job. So, yeah, I'm going to retreat back into this world where I don't have to worry about feeling things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for me to take that viewpoint because yeah, as as somebody who's not had these issues, you know, uh, lucky or not, it would seem to me that if you're prescribed a medicine for a condition, it is not an escape to take your medicine. I think that's a very well, I with, can understand that interpretation with things like medication that they would prescribe for. Um, for antidepressants, and they say he's on a psychostimulant, so that's something presumably like an Adderall or a Ritalin. Um, or Jack Daniels. That's, a psycho, <laughs> that's simulated me to be a psycho for years. Um, it, from what I, I hear from folks is it can make the world seem incredibly dull because you're no longer when, – when you have um, an attention deficit hyperactivity disorder – um, you aren't necessarily hyper because um, you can have non-hyper version, but it's like everything in the room is talking to you. I mean, it's not literally talking to you. You're not hallucinating that like the shelf is talking to you, but it it pops out at you. Like, I'm here. This is the shelf. There's a bag. It... I don't know. The shelf <laughs> often tells me to, to engage in a gunfight with the police. But it, it makes it very hard to filter things out. But at the same time, you feel very alive and and it becomes very um integral to who you are and who your identity is the that sort of lack of executive functioning skills um so when you go on these meds it's it's kind of like your identity goes away and that can be incredibly distressing and, and 
again, let's be fair. Neither of us are medical professionals. Right. Neither of us have personal experience with this. No, this is on accounts this from is, what I've... <laughs> this is anecdotal stuff because you happen to have a day job where you do work with people in psychiatry and yes. people who have some of the issues that are mentioned in this book. So do not take what we say as medical advice or legal advice or personal advice or advice to do anything whatsoever. Yeah, for the love of God, just go to like WebMD like everybody else. Yeah, it's <laughs> and it will tell you that you have cancer. If we tell you Cancer to, AIDS. Yes. <laughs> if we tell you to breathe, you talk to a fucking lawyer before you keep doing it. That's all I'm saying. See your but, physician. <laughs> and yes, I've certainly heard stories like this either from anecdotes you have brought home and certainly in the popular media you hear about people who say you know jesus why did you try to eat that guy's face well i didn't feel alive because i didn't take my meds i'm just saying with the focus on sex and learning about sex and and similar things in the first five issues i could utterly relate to that anybody of an age between 12 and whatever has gone through a lot of that and has dealt with the same feelings this i don't so it was a, a a level of disconnection not completely certainly i have been anxious certainly i've had stress and anxiety that have led me to you know oh jesus that thing in my shoulder is cancer well no just you've been stressed out and rubbing on the bone <laughs> so i it wasn't completely exclusionary to me. It was just a, a, a separate, there was a separation there. Whereas, since I've not really read this as as you have, coming into this as like an issue to jump in, I'm like, oh, okay. I, I totally get where he's coming from insofar as I know other people who have gone through this around me. Sure. Um, so it made sense. Like, oh, they're they're graying him out. I get it. It's <laughs> Yeah. I mean, artistically, it, I really like what Zdarsky's been doing with this. Um, yeah, little things like the graying out and the duplication of what people see and how he feels as a visual effect is really effective. The general art is, it's a simple line. Everything is pretty realistic, um, so it's easy to follow. And even though this is clearly serious, it's a guy who is so stressed he is convinced that he's dying, Um the background stuff that Zdarsky puts in there, the the one thing I saw was uh, when they're at the mall, the, a store, no jacket required because we only sell jackets. <laughs> you know, there's just cool stuff going on. So I, I really like the art uh, and have continued to like the art in this series. I, I like the the little details. Like he's so stressed out at work that he's abusing his power so he can go take a shit in his boss's potted plant. Well, he's he's been doing that for a while. I in, like that. Though. In that the original nice. book. <laughs> I wouldn't do that cuz I I like my boss, but believe me, I'd I'd be off doing stuff during the day. There's a There's a a, a store there at the mall called the Booby Hatch. <laughs> that, this is a good mall. I want to go there. <laughs> I believe the booby hatch is is his psychiatric office that he goes to. He goes to a mall psychiatrist, which is a spiffy little a booby uh, hatch. <laughs> spiffy little. We're in our twenties without a lot of money, sort of detail. And this book is packed with stuff like that. You know, the and it this is uh, this is a very weird book because the plot is very much secondary to these characters and seeing what they're dealing with and identifying with them. But I really do want to see continued plot 
development. I want to see them take on the sex police. Well, I think that's what you get at the end of spoilers, um, end of this issue. Yeah. <laughs> is, you know, if he is in fact not paranoid and if these people in his life um, are, are real that have been antagonizing them, he has uh, one of their ad- Kegel faces address. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that he can go on and take on Come World Batman. Yeah, and and her name is Mrs. Uh, uh, Ms. Myrtle Spurge, which is very close to Spooge. Yes, uh, look, <laughs> this is written by Fraction with Starsky. You're going to get that kind of stuff. But the fact he didn't name this issue Come World Batman means he does not have the same <laughs> ear for a title that we have. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this one is, yeah. Certainly, if you're listening to this and somehow ignored the explicit warning on iTunes and you happen to be 14 or 15, uh, you probably shouldn't be reading this, or at least don't get caught. Um, (laughs) But certainly adults, yeah, yeah, this book has been killer, and it continues to be, uh, like I said, this one not quite as effective to me just because the subject matter is not something I can hook into personally the way I've been able to all along. But, you know, unless this issue was about smoking cigarettes instead of taking psych meds, I just well, don't have it. If if it had been, you know, rather than I'm going back on my meds, if it had been, I'm going to cut back on my drinking. You shut your fucking <laughs> mouth. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> it's not going to get better than that. Let's move on to the next book. Um, Punisher versus Thunderbolts. Yes. This Part is, uh, one actually thunderbolts uh number 27 27 uh written by and i was not familiar with these guys ahead of time ben acker and ben blacker uh yep. <laughs> googled them uh, i'm not sure if they've did, done comic works before uh first thing that comes up is their writers for the thrilling adventure and supernatural suspense hour which is apparently a stage show that has some relatively named big named actors on it now and again uh but again, <laughs> not familiar with the team from that. It's not something I've seen before. Not haven't seen them do comics, but uh, art by Carlo Barbieri. So yeah, on one hand, this is a strange book for us to just sort of grab because it it is not a spectacular first issue or a particularly high profile book at this point. Right. I was um, a huge fan of Thunderbolts back in its Jeff Parker um, days before with the old group. Oh yeah, and the. Uh, Warren Ellis ones yes. with uh, with uh, Norman Osborn running around half crazy. Right, right. Um, and I've continued to get it, and I've sort of enjoyed it. You know, I've talked about it before in written pieces on the website. Uh, this lineup is very much a... I'm trying to build my Hero Clicks collection. You know, it would be cool on the Thunderbolts. We'll get Elektra, and we'll get the Punisher, and we'll get Deadpool. Well, a lot of this is uh, like Marvel like, Knights folks you punisher your electra your ghost rider yeah but it's like again i've said it before it's like if rob liefeld put together <laughs> team extreme with no e before the x who'd be fucking cool to put on the thunderbolts deadpool does have pouches still he does have pouches so so it's but still it's been pretty well executed and i've continued to read it even though mm. it's not setting the world on fire i've had a few issues with it but i'll get to that in a minute so in some way, this is a weird for weird one for us to grab and review because um, it is a pretty workaday issue on some level. It's, uh, it starts out with the Thunderbolts intercepting a plot to kill the Avengers and capture capture Captain America. Uh, they trace the orders back to a school, and it looks like all the kids are dead, and uh, a lot of them get 
uh, a lot of the team gets psychotropically gassed and starts to hallucinate that things are happening to him, and it turns out Dr. Faustus did it, but Deadpool wasn't breathing, so he was able to recover and bring the team back, and they capture Dr. Faustus, and General Ross, the Red Hulk, makes the decision, nope, we're going to bring him in to do work for the Thunderbolts and atone for his crimes of killing an entire fucking high school as opposed to putting a bullet in his head. Which is what the Punisher wants to do, and I understand that impulse. Yep, so the Punisher quits, and then... Turns out certain people don't like it when you quit the Thunderbolts. Well, yeah, it's pointed out to him uh, that you can't quit because you're being fired, and then they blow up his apartment. Yes, they, <laughs> they fire you in a very different way from the Thunderbolts. Yes. So, yeah, again, the story is it's perfectly competent. I can believe Dr. Faust is doing this, even though he was sort of a B-grade villain I remember from the 70s, I think taking on Spider-Man. But I know he was a Captain America. A lot of B-grade villains running around doing weird shit in Marvel right now. These days, yeah. <laughs> Um, most of the characterization they focus on is Deadpool and Punisher and Red Hulk. There's a little bit there for the Ghost Rider, which I think is going to open up Ghost Rider taking sides with the Punisher later on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a neat little moment of they see these dead kids in the high school and Johnny Blaze has to pull back and say, Ghost Rider was about to go berserk, so I'm just going to stay in control for right now. So I think we will see a... A change of heart or a change of uh, association from yeah. from him later on. Well, and I think Electra will end up picking a side also. Yeah. Um, because when this comes down to it, she's got history with Frank. And <laughs> Yeah, and they had a relationship in earlier, earlier issues. issues so yeah. that's very possible. And it's very possible that this could lead to the entire team disintegrating. I'm not sure about that at this point. What I do know is, and the reason I wanted to talk about this one, is this starts the process of getting the Punisher off the fucking Thunderbolts. Yes. And while I was saying earlier about Batman, oh, Batman would team up with anybody if it meant that the Punisher would not fucking team up with anybody no. except on a one or two person basis for a particular, the Punisher is not a team player. Right. The Punisher works alone. Unless you're the person who provides him with gadgets. <laughs> yeah, it, he works alone with one or two confidants at best. Yep. Uh, of almost anybody in comics, his mission is utterly personal. He lost his family. He has a particular set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> he sure does. He will use them. <laughs> There's no negotiation. It's just the find you and kill you part. Yeah, yeah. He, he, is, he is judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> yeah, and, and he works historically best with street level heroes when he works at all you know, Spider-Man makes a certain amount of sense yep Daredevil makes a certain amount of sense yeah it, it even sort of works just in a weird buddy cop way right now an original sin of oh yeah I'm the ballistics guy just going around with Doctor Strange I don't like any of you yeah um, but I mean the Punisher hanging out with Deadpool and the Red Hulk, where does that make any sense at all? It only makes sense insofar as Ross wants to have a talent base that includes someone who is a good soldier. And that's the point that Ross's narration at the end of the, the book is making is that, um, you know, the Punisher was a good soldier, but like all soldiers, he can be replaced. He, he sees his assets ultimately as expendable well 
yes, and I can kind of see that, but and I look plot wise, I can understand why somebody would ask the Punisher to be on a team. Character wise, I can't see why the Punisher would ever say he would be on a team. It's been a problem with me from the beginning, even though I think it's been handled reasonably well through the various creative teams since they started it. But this is the reason Greg Rucka left the Punisher. Yeah. And the newest incarnation of the Punisher uh, by Nathan Edmondson has actually been very readable. Um, But he's a much more human Punisher, whereas I really liked Rucka's take on... No, he's the Punisher. There's no person in there. The person yeah. died with his family. He's a machine at this point. There's a mission, yeah. and that's that's all. And he, and the mission is what keeps him going. If if the mission stops, then he has no reason to continue to be. Yeah, and I can see a place for a Punisher who's, as Edmondson's writing him, more human, more able to interact with people. The Terminator 2 version. Yeah, of, of <laughs> but I, I can't see a Punisher who would hang out with fucking Deadpool. <laughs> And I've never been able to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I What I see going on here, though, is, is interesting because I, I'll take it a, st- a step further back. I don't see why they needed necessarily to ever irradiate Ross and give him gamma powers. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I know it's been a, an ongoing thing for, for several years, but. His, I think the reason was practical in that after World War Hulk, they wanted Hulk to disappear for a while and yet still have a Hulk. So somebody oh yeah. had the idea. Because remember, the big mystery was who is Red Hulk? And I think probably they said, oh, we'll figure that out later. And I, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, Ross already had going for himself that he was he was a brilliant tactician. He, was, he's, he had a, an excellent military mind. His Achilles heel was he chased after the Hulk like Ahab did the White Whale. Sure. Um, And that was his consuming obsession, which is why he volunteered to be irradiated. Um, Okay, fine. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Um, Where this is going to be interesting story-wise is I think Ross underestimates um, Frank Castle, who also has... An equally brilliant, if not possibly better, tactical mind. Uh, I like where you're going with this. Um, you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we got on on Mike. Frank Castle has been on mission and not caught for 40 years. Well, he, <laughs> he's been caught, uh, not, but never for long, yeah. and just treats it like cool, more defenseless targets. <laughs> right, yeah. Rorschach, you're all in here with me. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know... Th- Ross going after the Hulk was going after the irresistible force or the immovable object, depending on what was happening with the Hulk in any given storyline. Right. In this particular case, he's going after the irresistible force with the mind to support it. (laughs) Yeah. And I can easily see something coming where you've stopped being a really good military guy, General Ross, you're counting on raw power and things have now turned around. Yeah. Yeah. Another, I'm not locked in here with you. You're not hunting me. I'm hunting you. So this could turn into something 
really cool. I mean, I think these are untested guys writing it, but it's you're uncovering layers I hadn't really seen beyond. Oh, thank God they're getting the Punisher out of Thunderbirds, out of Thunderbolts, rather. Well, and also a thing to consider is Ross's statements up front about how they, the Thunderbolts, um, get to do what others can't because they don't have to deal with the same issues in morality or whatever. So, where somebody may be. Um, you know, trying to bring down a foe so that they can lock them up and bring them to justice a la the Avengers. Yeah. They go in and they are the surgical strike. They amputate. They cauterize. Uh, they uh, Okay, so here we are at the end of, of the story and Faustus is not being amputated or cauterized. He's being locked up. Yeah, and you're not using surgical precision. You've got a big fucking bomb in the building. Yeah. Um, You're seeing more going on this than I originally did. I'm glad we talked about this. I have an eighty thousand dollar English major. <laughs> I have an eighty thousand uh, dollar four year drinking vacation. <laughs> but I mean, again, this is this is what I'm seeing it in terms of story potential. Whether this comes to bear, I don't know. But I'm interested because I'm always down for a good Punisher story, if nothing else. Sure. I mean, I think you're a bigger Punisher. I know you're a bigger Punisher yeah. fan than <laughs> I am, and I like the Punisher. So, all right. So, uh, yeah, it's. At the time, when I first grabbed this one and said, oh, why don't we talk about this, it was mostly, oh, thank God they're getting them off the team. You've given me more to think about. I think this is a definite recommendation. I wouldn't put it as high as sex criminals, but it's there's some potential here, and we'll we'll see how these guys who, again, if they've written comics before, I'm not familiar with it, but we'll see how it plays out. There's There's something here, potentially. Yes. All right. So with that, God, we didn't intend to do another hour and a half show. <laughs> but we're an hour 25 in, so let's wrap this one up. Uh, yes, this is a Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. Uh, this has been episode 20. Uh, and there will be a 21, which I would not, have guessed, would not have guessed a couple of years ago. Our baby's but, turning 21. We should buy it beer. Uh, the beer's for me. I just opened my third one. <laughs> so, but, uh, so... Yes, uh, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, if you found this on iTunes, uh, our home base is crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, Amanda, what is our Twitter handle? Because I never remember it. At Infinite Midlife. At Infinite Midlife. Um, and yeah, if you found this on iTunes, uh, like I said, we're still making this up as we go along. We're still building studio equipment. So uh, yeah, do us a favor if you got a minute. Throw in a review. Uh, tell us what you think. Any suggestions? Give us a rating. We are crisis on infinite midlives at gmail.com if you want to drop us an email that way. <laughs> yeah. We can say, I wouldn't put that in writing anywhere on the internet, but we can say it. So yeah. that works. <laughs> so, all right. With that, let's uh, turn the key on episode 20. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and uh, Ender. Please.